It is time for Scaring is Sharing. Yes, it's that podcast you love where you listen to spooky news and frightful views because we share them with each other and you about all things horror. Yeah, we sure do. Yeah. And I'm here today with the rambunctious Jeremy, the original Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And I'm here with that rap scallion, the flame and scream queen himself, Brandy Joe Planbeck. Is it rap scallion or rat? Rap scallion. Rap scallion. Is there mm-hmm. a rapper named Rapscallion? There, there should really be. should be. I don't know if there is, but that would be awesome. <laughs> it would be awesome. And the and the S should be a dollar sign. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you've never listened before, Jeremy and I love horror movies. We love watching them. We love talking about them. And that's what we're here to do with you. And this is one of our traditional episodes where the the crux of the biscuit of how we started this thing is we share a movie with the other person that person's not seen before because we have very different tastes. We watch them. We come back. We talk about them. Yeah, that's it. That's that's it. Really cool. So, Jeremy, uh, first first things first. Mm-hmm. Uh, if People listen to us on Apple. For some reason, we're not showing up on there. Hopefully, by the time this drops, we will be. But just know that you may have to check us out on one of the other platforms. I don't know what's going on with Apple, but it's it's weird. It, or just it, keep refreshing or, Apple, I guess, and eventually it might or be Or it's on homophobic, there. and because it was my birthday, they're like, fuck Maybe you. they did, those fuckers. I know. So rude. Um, second of all, I wanted to say that Ethan had written into the podcast, I think a couple of weeks ago with the suggestion of listening to the tinies do the cover of pet cemetery did you listen Uh to it i have oh my god it is intensely spooky it is so good that's what i love a cover that truly turns something upside down like i was like i fucking love this it sort of reminds me it's not like as quirky as this but it sort of reminds me of joanna newsom like the lead singer's voice is similar it's kind of childlike yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it almost uh, took takes it into. Do you know Tiny Tim? Uh, you I should. I mean, from like Insidious, right? From Insidious, yeah. But he also did like. I mean, the songs he's famous for are actually covers of old like standards from back in the day. But he also like did some more. Like he has a cover of "People Are Strange" by The Doors, and it's oh. like sort of like the Tiny doing the Ramones. It sounds so radically different from the original and spooky and weird. So um, that's sort of where it like shook me. Where I'm like, oh, it's almost kind of like Tiny Tim, like totally stripping something down and turning it into an entirely like different genre. Hell yeah, I love that so fucking much. Mm-hmm. So good. So thank you, Ethan, for the suggestions. And other people, if you have other covers, they don't even have to be horror related. I just love a good cover. Oh, especially... we just like cool covers. I like yeah. hearing I like hearing famous like radio hits and stuff like that get turned into something else entirely. That's oh, what yeah. I that's what I like to hear. There's this amazing, I think it's Ben Howard is the artist who covers it, but there is a cover of Call Me Maybe. That's mm. so haunting. And it's like, how can Call Me Maybe be haunting? But it fucking is. And it is like so good. I don't know what it is. I feel like all like big hit pop songs have some sort of underlying sinister tone to them. If you're listening right. And then artists that can find that and draw it out in like a cover. It's so cool. 
Oh, I love it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Because it's I think so many pop songs are love songs, but it doesn't take much to change the tone into something that feels more like a stalker song or, a mm-hmm. you know, uh, something a little more insidious, if you will, than that. So I think that's that's cool. Like there is this Lady Gaga song. It's not the secret. It's something. Um, shit. Uh and I've, every time I've heard it, as much as I love it, I find it there's something creepy about it. Like I can imagine that someone is like a stalker. Yeah, I've always thought uh, her song "Paparazzi." Somebody oh. should redo it as something creepier and weirder. I'm sure it has been, but that's my. Whenever I hear that song, I'm like, oh, this would be so good in a horror movie if somebody uh, played with this. The song I was thinking of is "The Cure." by lady gaga Mm -hmm. because it's all like i'll fix you and stuff and in my head Mm -hmm. about like i remember i used to listen to it while i was swimming and i just like the story going through my head is like you know some girl whose best friend came out to her as gay but she's like always been in love with him and she like kidnaps him and like tortures him and is like (laughs) no i'll cure you of this i'm meant to be with you (laughs) i don't know why that, that was like the story in my head which is pretty fucked up write it (laughs) that's your movie right there because she's like you know maybe they're both like fundamentalist christians or whatever and Mm -hmm. he confides in her and she's like no i'm the answer Ooh, (laughs) creepy um jeremy i have to ask you about something that i i i feel like if you would have known about this you would have mentioned it to me Mm -hmm. do you know about this movie and i'm pulling it up so i don't mess with the title dead till death no it is a 45 43 minute horror movie commercial for liquid death oh my god wait a minute is that no cans of liquid death it's like rubber cans of liquid death but cans of liquid death kill people who like litter and things like no, I haven't heard of this. I just saw a commercial they did for their new, uh, whatever, Death Dust, uh, which is like a uh, powdered, you know, pour into water uh, vitamin thing they're selling now where it was people are zombies. And then they drink the Death Dust and then they're normal again. It, it popped up on my little horror site and I was like, what is this? And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, it's 43 minutes. And I started watching it. And then I was like, oh, this is a commercial for liquid. Like it starts off and liquid death is one of the the title, like the um logos in the beginning uh-huh. and it ends up just being a horror movie where cans of liquid death are rolling around and killing people who are camping in the forest and taking inv- like throwing litter and shit like that oh my god now i gotta check this out i know i thought of you instantly i'm like mm-hmm. surely if before because we've talked about liquid death a number of times yes we have i drink it all the time i am I like a dedicated I had it recently i was consumer. somewhere and i asked it and i asked they asked me what kind of water i wanted and like liquid death was an option and i got it and i can't remember where that was because like there's only a hand like where would that have been why don't i remember it maybe it was a yeah, dream maybe it was a dream the only times i see it like in the wild is because of their push like clearly with everything about them they're pushing into like rock and roll like underground uh so like any metal show, like the last couple death metal shows I went to, there was, you know, presented by Liquid Death sponsoring everywhere. And they had like multiple flavors behind the bar. So that's where I'm getting used to seeing it now is anytime I go to a metal show, they're like, oh, also we got Liquid Death. Well, I'm glad that's good. And mm-hmm. I love that they have, I haven't tried it yet, but they have like sparkling waters too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's my yeah. jam is the sparkling yeah. and the various you have sparkling a watermelon flavors. kind or something. Yeah, I, I, That's my least favorite one now. Oh. Yeah, 
Is it Maybe too so sweet? It's uh, the the flavor is weird. Like I feel the like the flavor is weird. The flavor is weird. It's like the watermelon is a strange flavor to try and turn into like water. I think because to me it doesn't taste like watermelon. Um, mm. So I'm not crazy about that one. Okay. Okay. I like the mango is really good, and I like the berry flavor. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, you should check it out because mm. I thought of you instantly. I did not love it. Okay. Spoiler, I was really glad it was 43 minutes. Well, I'm glad it's just that a I was grateful for. Or I'm sure it's just because it's a commercial. It's not necessarily. But I mean, it's definitely like gory. Like there's cool. some there's some definite hardcore hardcore. I don't know if it's hardcore gore, but I love that they've leaned into too their their entire like marketing scheme is based on like bad reviews and horrible shit people say about them, and then they just turn it around and use it as like branded marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh because it's like uh, they they always take the reviews of people like you're going to hell. This is terrible that you would do this, and then they like proudly use that as like a, a blurb in their ads. Yeah, that happened with a restaurant in Ferndale. It's owned by um, this man who happens to be gay, and they um, Bobcat Bonnies. Mm. And I'm looking it up because they got this really. They got a. They get a lot of offensive like Yelp reviews because they're pretty gay like they're in mm-hmm. Ferndale. I mean they have other locations but um they I love when people take lemons and make lemonade. We had that some something like that happen with us at our theater once but so they made these shirts and on the front it's like the Bobcat Bonnie's logo and on the back it says overpriced and gay one out of five stars. <laughs> and I love it so much. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's a good time. So fucking if someone talks shit about you, you just turn that around. You find some yeah. humor in it. You go to the people that know you and get you and you fucking just mm-hmm. use that shit. Absolutely. Overpriced and gay. You know what? And I love Bobcat Bonnie's. They are overpriced and gay, though, would make me want to then go in. So that's perfect. <laughs> and it is not overpriced. I mean, it's yeah. the price no, of I how food Bob- is these days. But yeah, of course, I know Bobcat Bonnie's. Any, anyone, you know. Who thinks something's too gay? They're gonna think everything else is at fault as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we don't like, want no. your kind here, okay? No, absolutely. Get out. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, uh, Brady Sinellis has a new movie coming out. I believe his directorial debut. Yeah, Are you a I Brady Sinellis fan. Uh, I guess so. I like. Uh, I I think I've only read American. Um, which I would say which one? I am a. American Psycho. I think oh, that's the okay. only novel of his I've actually read, although I do enjoy that novel for what it is, uh, for the ex- exercise and extreme bad taste that it is. Um, and I'm trying to think. I feel like I Less read... Less than zero? That's yeah, the other big one. I feel like I tried to read something. I think I might have read Rules of Attraction. Oh, yeah, I've read that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think in college or high school, I read it or, like, part of it tried you know started it at some point not sure i ever finished it because i remember part of rules of attraction so yeah i love those three books and i, I mean it is a of a time in my life my like early 20s mm-hmm. or late late teens I, but, I feel like he caters to a specific uh yeah like rich preppy druggies yes mostly yep. and, that, and that's exactly what he said this horror movie is gonna be about i know so it so totally sounds like an idea of something that I've wanted to do. So I'm excited. Um, but it's going to start Joseph Quinn, who was Billy in stranger things. I think that was mm-hmm. season four. Love that. And the description is a man who checks into rehab after witnessing a horrific death during a drugged up party. 
Three months later, he is set to get his life back together, staying at his parents' mansion in the hills of Los Angeles. But things have a cha- things have changed around Matt, and everything seems off balance. I wrote another review that talked about how like he goes to meetings and he's talking about this monster and they're like, yeah. it's your addiction and stuff. And like, that is a hundred percent, like an idea I've had, like, yeah. cause in my mind, the, the notion would be like, it's a play, but like everyone's sort of immersed into like an AA meeting, sort of mm-hmm. like the audience is a part of this meeting and someone is there sort of freaking out about something outside. And then, you know, things are happening. Like people are banging at the doors and you know, that sort of thing, but I've just never been able to fully realize it. Oh, so this sit down sounds and write like it. It's, 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 I'll just have to see this because it sounds like he just got into my head and just was like, oh, that idea. I'll take Could that. Could be. Maybe I'm it's different writer. enough. I'll maybe deal with that. Maybe it's different enough. But I'm excited for it. He did. He did say, I did read the blurb, though, that this is definitely going to be a monster movie. Like, it will be. That. It will be a monster movie just set in a setting that he's not really seen, which is upscale, you know, high society type shit. So, yeah. cool. Yeah, so I'm fucking pumped for that. What about you? What have you seen? What have you heard? You really, that's about it. That was the one thing I grabbed <laughs> onto was the Brett Easton Ellis thing where I'm like, oh, okay, cool. He's directing a horror movie. Neat. Uh, I feel like that's another pipeline is the novelist to movie director thing happens every so often. So um, hopefully he'll have more success than Stephen King. Ooh. Which was dual. <laughs> No, which was uh, Maximum Overdrive. Oh, Maximum Overdrive. Right, right, yeah. right. He did one movie, and then that was too, you know. <laughs> he did it at a bad time in his life, though, because he was fully into his drug addictions and stuff. So I think that's why the movie was not as great as it yeah. should have been. And, and I don't know that Brett Easton Ellis is sober, but I mean, it, surely he's had his string of time with drugs just based yeah. on his books. His ups but, and downs. Yeah. I don't think he's I don't think he's a raving drug addict or anything right now. So this thing says now he is sober. Okay, Uh, maybe he is. I don't know if he still is. This this came out in 2019. This article, it says he's sober. So, yeah, so we'll we'll see. But I'm looking forward to it. Either way, it seems like he has it together right now. So, yeah. So make a movie, you know? Yeah, make a movie. Um, I did hear that. Uh, First Omen and Abigail both got rated R, which, I mean, I figured First Omen would be, but I wasn't yeah. sure about Abigail, but I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everything else those guys have done, what are they called? Radio Silence or whatever? It's the yeah. guys who did Ready or Not and Scream 5 and 6. Yeah, sure. I can't remember I think what that's the what name it's of their called. company. That sounds, about right. that sounds about right. Uh, yes, Radio, Radio Silence Productions. And so okay. they're the ones doing Abigail. But it looked like from, you know, this little Dracula vampire ballerina that it could have gone a PG-13 route. So I'm glad it's not. It's not. Yeah. And there's there's like a lot of chatter online around it that it's um, like a a, a secret new uh, version of Dracula's daughter. Mm-hmm. Because Universal is involved, I think, as a distributor on that one. So and the fact that they're like. Oh, we've kidnapped this dude's daughter and we're holding her for ransom. And she turns out to be a vampire. Everyone's like, I bet the twist is that Dracula is her father. So mm. that's the chatter online. We'll see if it's true yeah. or not. Yeah. I don't watch the trailer, but I do watch the first Omen teaser because yeah. it's such a good teaser. Like it's, I love the music. I just think it's, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Makes me so intrigued to watch it, but it just doesn't give anything away. No, it looks cool. I think I got an idea. I have an idea in my head what I think it's about. So, mm. um, 
could be interesting. Why? Well, because the, the, the way it's like showing all these church, you know, elements all talking to this woman who's clearly going to uh, be Damien's mother, I think, is what we're led to believe. Um, and I, I think what we're looking at is that he was brought in to like existence by like some sort of clandestine group within the Catholic Church. Like they wanted this to happen because mm-hmm. um, they keep showing like a priest telling her like no this is all part of the plan or whatever so it's like oh I think what we're looking at is they they wanted the Antichrist to come because they want to start this end times or whatever it is you know ultimately I think that that's what they was supposed to happen with Damien being on earth so okay, that, that's what I think it is is we're going to find out it was actually the church itself started all of this oh that's the twist I think interesting yep uh, for my birthday, Joe and I went to see Poor Things yeah. at the theater. It cool. is so bizarre. Cool. But like, I mean, obviously, right? Like his stuff is weird, but like it's, it's always like, bizarre. It's like real, real bizarre. Okay. Right. Um, on. I was fine with it. Joe really didn't like it. I okay. I thought it was fun though. I think I gave it three and a half out of five. He gave it two. And I called it when we left. I'm like, you didn't like it and you're giving it two stars. And he's like, Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is way long though. It's like two hours and twenty minutes. Like it is oh, so fucking long. Okay. It's a long one. But definitely, yeah, there's you know, some like lab Franken Dr. Frankenstein shit going on in there. Mm-hmm you know from time to time and and there's like animals running around with like heads of other animals and stuff like it's yeah. it's fun and quirky but it just yeah it just feels overly long to me I but mean, i admired its weirdness yeah i think i had like an understanding in my head about like what this movie was like when i saw someone online go it's just like an art house remake of frank and hooker so and i was like <laughs> oh okay i think well, i get it i now. haven't seen it but that that could track yeah yeah so all right all right cool yeah those are that's that's what i got we don't have any teragrams this week but wow. if you want to write to us scaring us sharing at gmail.com or slide into our insta scaring us sharing all one word all one word so yeah anything else jeremy or should we just get to sharing our scares that's really it i haven't been watching too much myself right now just uh at least not anything too horror related so um, let's do it let's do it let's get some sh- scares shared so yeah yeah you All go right. first i'm going first this was inspired by and I, I i don't know i'm gonna find out if you've seen this movie or not because oh. i'm just picking this sort of out of well not really out of thin air when we were at the wedding we were just at uh i had a long conversation about our podcast that then spun into a conversation about horror movies with a mutual friend of ours at the wedding um and we were talking about uh foreign or you know foreign to us americans horror movies and we were talking about japan uh and then this movie got mentioned to me and i was like oh my god i don't know if brandy joe's ever seen it Mm. and then it came up again in another conversation i had this week so battle royale i have seen it you have seen it damn i haven't seen the second one that's true nope scratch now i gotta move over starting (laughs) over but it made me think so you have seen battle royale but yeah now I want to go down this train of Japanese uh, horror okay. uh, that I've been thinking of. So I'm going to give you Onibaba. 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 Oh, man. Which is, yep. Uh, I now know, speaking of poor things, this all ties together. It's Willem Dafoe's like, favorite movie. Oh. He said it, he's now said it multiple times in interviews. It's from the 60s. 
I don't even know how to find it. I think I'm typing it in wrong. Uh, O-N-I-B-A-B-A. Oh, all one word. Got it. All, all one word. Onibaba. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I just pulled up. There's a creepy mask. So there you go. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. excited to do this one. <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say just based on that, that there's a masked killer or a cursed mask that, uh-huh. you know, inhabits or inhibits or inhibitly inhabits anybody who wears it and kills them. Cause cool. yeah, I mean, I know there's lots of deep folklore. Yeah. Um, and, an Asian culture that inspires a lot of their movies. I've never seen Naroy the Curse or whatever it's called. Yeah. But I hear I that's, that's really good. Like yeah. one of the best found footage movies everyone says, and I always forget about it. Well, very good. Because I've been thinking about, I know I've done this before where I do like a string of movies from Japan uh, or, you know, another country or whatever, some genre. So this, uh, that uh, we're talking about how Japan goes for a country that you don't normally associate horror with all the time they have a very healthy horror scene and every time i sit down i'm like oh there's so many japanese movies i want to get in here that i think yeah. are in- interesting of note so here we go again back to japan all right i'm excited well i'm going to give you one that i've recently found out you haven't seen mm. and that is the daniel radcliffe woman in black yes oh cool yeah, this is oh, this is going to be a fun pairing, I think, too. What do you um, know of it? What I know of the the woman in black is that it is a ghost story, a haunting story. I mean, we just talked about it with people talking about their favorite haunted house movies. So um, I know it's an old British thing. I can't I don't remember if it's a novel or a story, I think, from back in the day. But I know it's been done multiple times. I think there's I, I think there's an old hammer because I think the modern one is hammer, I think. Right. Yes. And, yeah. Yes. Uh, but I think there's an old version too from like the 60s or set, you know, back in the day. I know there's like a television series uh, version too, but I think it's some high society fellow has a mana that he has inherited or lives in or something, and it's haunted by, of course, a woman in black. Uh, and I think she makes him perhaps do things or torments him in that Edgar Allan Poe sort of style, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> that's what i think happens i love when hilarity ensues all right cool well let's go watch them and then let's talk about them very cool don't you blame the movies movies don't create psychos movies make psychos more creative And now is the half where we talk about the movies. Yep. So if you want to hear about Oni Baba, Oni Baba. Oni Baba. Oni. Oni Baba. Uh, then that's what we're going to talk about now. But if you want to skip ahead to The Woman in Black 2012, look in the podcast notes, see the time, and skip ahead. But we hope you'll just hang out for the yeah, whole time with us. Hang out and listen to the whole damn thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Okay, so first up is Onibaba, which is fun because I like the subtitle in this movie. When it pops up, it says Demon Woman, I think is what it gives as the translation. Yep. But I think I was reading online that Baba specifically is an old woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like a hag. Yeah, and Oni is like a a spirit that I guess we just say demon in English to understand the concept. So, you know, fun cultural references but anyway onibaba 
directed by Kaneido Shindo from 1964. The tagline on Letterboxd is the most daring film port ever from Japan. The most daring what? Import? Film import Oh, film import. Got it. Dot, dot, dot from Japan. (laughs) And then the description is, while her son, Kichi, is away at war, a woman and her daughter-in-law survive by killing samurai who stray into their swamp, then selling whatever valuables they find. Both are devastated when they learn that Kichi has died, but his wife soon begins an affair with a neighbor who survived the war, Hachi. The mother disapproves, and when she can't steal Hachi for herself, tries to scare her daughter-in-law with a mysterious mask. Yeah. That's it's pretty so, much a summary of it, but... It, it, no, that's. I feel like that's a pretty succinct summary. It's just, like, two-thirds of this movie, I'm like, why are we watching this? Like, mm-hmm. for this podcast, right? Yes. Like, I knew, like, from the poster, like, the poster I've seen. You know, like, I'm like, I know that mask, that creepy mask. Like, I knew it was about that once I saw it. But, like, you do not get there for some while. No. Like, this is, as I rewatch, this is probably my second or third time watching this movie. Uh, And I was like, holy shit, I didn't mean to go all art house all over us with this one. Because that is, like. like, so artsy. Yes. But, like, and. But very slow. (laughs) Very slowly paced. But. I love like you're so invested. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it is like this is a one of those movies where you're like I can't imagine this in color. Like it is no. so crisp and sharp in black and white and beautiful. Yeah, that's the thing is the cinematography is like and I think that's what sticks with me about this movie is it's haunting. The images are haunting in this when you look at them like they just yeah. kind of they linger. Like For the most part, I was like, I don't even remember the story. And there isn't even really that much plot to this. It's a very simple story and not a lot actually happens. But it's just the imagery, I think, is so uh, well photographed. And it looks so and it looks like you're on another planet. You don't even recognize it as like anything that you'd experience, you know, at least for us in our day to day life. So, um, yeah, that's what sticks with me is the imagery. Yeah, it, I found it so haunting and so beautiful. And the like, I mean, there's not a ton of dialogue in it. You really have this woman, her daughter-in-law. Then there's these like other guys who, you know, they sell stuff to occasionally that you barely know. And then there's this guy who comes back from the war or whatever, who had gone off with the mom's son and the woman's husband, or had they yet been married, boyfriend? No, I think they were married. They were married. And it goes off and comes back and says, like, he died. And this guy just seems like a scum, scum, Hachi, right? Yeah. He seems like such a Hachi. He seems like such a scumbag. Um, But there, okay. Then there's this one point where there's, okay. So there's this hole out in like the middle of all this grass. Okay. You're in like these marshlands or something. And there's all of this grass that they're constantly. There's these beautiful scenes where people are fighting in it, running through it, walking through it, like whatever. It all takes place in these like high grassed marshes. And in the midst of it all is this hole where they, because the women like kill soldiers and like take the Mm -hmm. materials off of them to sell for food. And they throw the bodies into this hole. Mm -hmm. And so this whole plays this like integral part into everything. And it's 
Like you just don't know. Like, I mean, it's not like where's this going because there's a plot because mm-hmm. the the daughter in law like once she finds out, I'm just gonna call it the daughter. It makes it easier. The daughter like once she finds out that her husband is dead, like eventually she starts hooking up with the the neighbor who's come back, Hachi. But mm-hmm. like. It was weird because she seemed not interested in him. Like both the mom and this girl seemed to treat Hachi like 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 he deserved to be treated because he seemed like a scumbag. I thought he was lying the whole time. I yeah. thought he'd killed the son or what. And the mom even says that at one point. Like I think he killed him or he's lying. And I, that he just comes across like a sketchy character. Yes. But there's this one point where he goes out in the woods or the woods, like out in the middle of the grass to the hole in the ground. And he like yells in it and he yells like, I want a woman or something. Mm-hmm. And at, shortly thereafter, the daughter starts hooking up with him, like mm-hmm. running in the middle of the night because she knows her, her mother-in-law won't approve running through the grass to him. And they have this sorted, sort sorted. Sor- sorted affair. Sorted. It, sound? Yeah. it sounds so wrong. Sorted. A sultry, steamy s- affair. It is. Yeah. There's a lot of tits. In this. You thought there were a lot of boobs in single white female. Well, yeah. This let movie. Me tell you. And for something from the 60s from Japan, I think it's jarring where you're like, oh man, there's just nudity aplenty in this. But it just made me wonder. And I thought this is where the movie was going. I thought that whole like granted wishes. Because it seemed mm-hmm. like he conjured her to him. Because yeah. prior to that, there was never he was never charming. She never, in my Look, opinion, looked attracted to, give to him, him like any indication that she was interested. But I could understand if that wasn't the case, right? Like that that's just in my mind, not knowing what this movie was. And mm-hmm. that's where I went. Like, oh, this hole in the ground grants wishes it's going to be a monkey's paw sort of thing but i could also see you know she's lonely she's been waiting for her husband to come back from the war and he you know maybe she was just grieving for a while when she found out finds out that he's dead and then she's horny and she wants to get mm-hmm. laid but then there's just this beautiful underlying story with the mother and how like she obviously is mourning her son as well and her only relationship is with the daughter-in-law. And it's not like you see them like hanging out and laughing. They work. They they, <laughs> they kill people. people. Yeah. Get, like food and to survive. Like all, I think, in hopes waiting for the son to come back so that they can do more with their lives. And then when they find out their son, the son is not coming back. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what now? And then when she starts hooking up with the neighbor, the mom is like, what am I going to do with my life? She can't leave me. And I feel like the mom tries all these desperate things. She tries to hook up with Hachi. I don't even think she really wants to. I just think she's trying, but she might, she might also have those like aches and desire. It's so complex. Yes. And it's like relationships and this, and I just like, I was like, that's why it never felt boring. Cause it was beautiful. And just like, what is happening here? Where is this going? Yeah, until that last half hour where it becomes like an entirely different movie. And at it the is end. the end is so motherfucking good. Like, yeah. and here's the thing. This whole because here's the thing. I want people to go watch this movie. Okay. So mm-hmm. I don't want to like spoil too much until a certain point. <laughs> yeah. But because it is just so good not knowing much about it. But there's this hole in the ground that I keep talking about. There are scenes where people are jumping over it. And you're looking up from underneath, out like up into you know, the the sky, and 
it just there are so many times where I thought of Dolores Claiborne. Like it, mm-hmm. I'm like, did Dolores Claiborne was the idea of some of that stuff with the well and the eclipse? Was I wonder. that pulled from this because it reminded me of it so so hardcore. Yeah. Ooh, that's something to research. Um, yeah, for sure. But I did hear that William Friedkin just like thinks this movie is like the scariest thing ever made. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I had seen and why this was on my radar for this week too was very recently uh Willem Dafoe referenced it in two different like recent interview videos I'd seen of him. He was on uh, a red carpet somewhere where Letterboxd you know, interviewed him and asked, what are your top four? Like they love to do if you've seen any of those videos. Uh, And he he said his number one favorite movie of all time is this Onibaba. Uh, And then uh, in another video, he was at the Criterion Collection, who, uh, of course, have released this as part of the collection. But uh, they do this thing where they'll have film people and creators of note come to their office. uh, And they get get to go into what they call the Criterion Closet, which is just a library of every title they've ever released, like on, you know, the the DVDs and the Blu-rays. And if you visit these people they invite to come, they get to pick whatever movies they want out of the collection to take with them. Okay. Uh, but again, Willem Dafoe grabbed Onibaba as the first choice. And he said it's, his, again, his favorite movie. Uh, and in that video, he said that he at one point owned the rights to make a remake. Oh. Uh, but was just never able to come up with something that he thought did justice to the original movie. So okay. he just, he just ne- it never happened. But I'm like, wow, there could have been an Onibaba remake with Willem Dafoe attached. That would have been interesting. It would have, but like, I don't. I don't, I don't know it. what you could translate it to because it feels like in context to Japanese culture, like it feels important that it's a Japanese movie. Like, I don't know what you would change this into um, yeah. because apparently this is based on a Buddhist like fable. Uh, so that's, you know, part of the DNA there. And I um, looked into that because it's that is about this woman who doesn't want her daughter to go to temple. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because she doesn't want her to be Buddhist or whatever. I don't know, like, I didn't read it. The context, I, yeah. That, like, the plot is this mom doesn't want her daughter to go to temple, so she scares her with this mask. And then a similar thing happens, like, in the movie. I, I don't want to yeah. get it all away. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just I just think that's really, uh, really interesting um, that film people love this. Like, this is very beloved by oh, I could, industry yeah, I people. I totally get that. And... And I could all like as soon as I heard that about William Friedkin, it made sense because to me, when the daughter is running through the field every night to like go have sex with him, the the music and the sound like it sounds like birds, like it's like not music, it's like mm-hmm. sound, it's like yeah. this weird conglomeration of of sound elements. Yeah, but it reminded me of The Exorcist and some of like the creepy sound stuff that that is done in there. And also Pazuzu's face, which is based oh on my God. Totally. no masks, which is exactly what the mask is. It's from no, you know, the Japanese uh, opera. So, yeah, it's it's that makes tons of sense because, yeah, initially I, I had read a thing where they went with like all these different ghoulish makeups for the Pazuzu face, but they settled on basing it off of a no mask. So it's mm. like, OK, that makes a ton of sense then. Yeah. And I don't rem- remember but it's only a podcast did an episode on like the top 25 creepiest faces or I don't know the number they had. I love their list episodes. Go check them out. But I can't remember if this was in there. And I don't know if they only did literal faces. I think they might have and not done masks. Masks. Yeah. 
But fuck, this mask is so scary. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I feel like our two movies here combined, because there is a scene where a hag-like woman flies forward. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the thing, like that glidey sort of flying through the air. Like, it is just like those scenes towards the end of this movie are so eerie, even though you know the setup, like, you know, mm-hmm. you pretty much know it's not like an you know actual what's going on. demon yeah. there, like, you know yeah. what the mother-in-law is doing, and yeah, it's just so, so wild. Um, yeah. But yeah, but, I never expected to like it as much as I did, even, like, in the beginning watching, I think mostly just because I was just, like, waiting around for what's gonna happen, like, you're like, what is this? we getting to the horror, but I just got invested in it, and it's fun because, like, the mother-in-law, like, you, she isn't sympathetic in the way that, like, she's sweet and you feel for her that way. It's sort of in her, like, desperation to try to hold on to her daughter-in-law and to not lose her that you mm-hmm. feel for her. But it isn't, she's not, like, a sympathetic character, like, her heart, she wears her heart on her sleeve or anything. She is hard-edged. Yeah, and I I read somewhere, I think I had heard that the actor portraying the mother-in-law, like, she's supposed to be an old woman, but she was, like, the same age as all the other actors. I wondered that. She just had, like, because she did not seem that old, truly. No, they put some makeup on her, and she has, like, a streak of white uh, in her hair, Uh, but it gives her sort of, like, a Bride of Frankenstein vibe, (laughs) which I think is just, I, I don't know, I think it's a cool character design, what they did with her to make her memorable in what would just normally be a Japanese period piece where the people all look sort of like, you know, peasants from the time period, but they actually gave her sort of a distinct look, which I thought was Mm. pretty cool. Another movie that this reminded me of in those scenes when the daughter was running through the grass at night and there was that creepy, amazing music or sounds, um, soundscape, I'll say, is it reminded me of an image that has stuck in my mind ever since I was a kid and watched Terror in the Isles all the time. And that is Sally running through the woods in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm, yeah. And like, she's like running through and you're like following her like through the trees. And I'm like, how did they capture that? Like, it yeah. looks like you're in it. Like With you're them. Yeah. Like in like deep in the, the thick of it. The marshes. And it just yeah. reminded me that that visual reminded me so much. Yeah. Of like some particular footage of like Sally running through the woods and Texas Chainsaw. And the music, like I don't love jazz, but it felt like because it feels just like warped, fucked up jazz music here. Yeah. Not warped like a record out in the sun, but but just like that crazy jazz that you're kind of like, whoa. Yeah, it's 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 experimental. They're using, you know, it's like off time and just uh, uh, it's disorienting to listen to. Uh, And I. Yeah, that struck me, too, where I'm like, yeah, straight up, they had a jazz score on this. That's kind of cool. Jazz was huge. And I mean, jazz is still very popular in Japan in post-World War II. Like a bunch of American culture got shipped over to Japan. And jazz was one of the things that like took off and they also connected with. Um, So I think that's kind of cool when you watch movies from like especially the 60s coming out of Japan. I think it's very common to have like a jazz orchestra as the score instead of a normal symphonic uh orchestra and i think that's kind of unique yeah but i just yeah this movie 
was so good and i just yeah how it ultimately ends up is great i don't even think we need to have a spoiler section to talk about it maybe i don't know yeah and it's 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 wild to the transition because i was reading about further online where they're like yeah the genre of this movie has been debated like its entire existence where it, it truly fits because it begins as a period uh drama you know it's set in a time period when japan was in uh i want to say it's like the 1500s if i remember correctly i don't know back check me people but it was an era of civil war in japan so there literally was no government like that's why they're uh so concerned about survival and doing whatever they can because the government had entirely collapsed and it was just open warfare everywhere um and that lasted for like a long period before the the emperor took control again. But um, yeah, it starts as a period drama set in that period. And then it kind of moves into this erotic sort of thing mm-hmm. for a while with the, the love affair it's, going yeah, on. Sort of like, um, I don't I want to say mischievous love. That's not correct. But like, you shouldn't yeah. be with someone. What is that fucking called? There's forbidden. A name. Forbidden. Love. Oh my God. Yeah. Forbidden love. That's very much that. But yeah, it moves into this erotic thriller almost sort of area and then all of a sudden it's a horror movie in like the last half hour like distinctly becomes a horror movie and you're like this is it what a but they all work <laughs> like it, it flows it does not feel unnatural those beats from each other so um yeah he did some some wild stuff yeah it's sharp it is just all, so many emotions it just it's yeah. really the characterizations are so good and yeah i just was like wow this is one kick-ass movie and okay mild spoiler but we're talking about the mask the the samurai that shows up in that mask i think for as little of a character as he is in the movie he is pretty scary uh as a character that just shows up um uh, is super threatening has this terrifying mask you don't know much and like he's just ominous and i i think that how little you know the character because it's just such a mystery person that shows up in this mask and is very uh very ominous and interesting i I don't know i i just that always sticks with me every time i rewatch this is that particular moment those scenes when he shows up and he's talking to the mother-in-law uh i'm like this is pretty spooky so yeah where did you watch this do you own it i uh i do own it on uh blu-ray uh originally i think i saw it on streaming or something like that like years ago i didn't even look i rented it off of youtube Mm-hmm. Um, it was the Criterion Collection, so it's just like ultra sharp. But yeah, that's where I recommend great restoration. Yeah, I don't want to like even say like spoilers and get into some stuff because I really want people to watch this. Yeah, but I if think you this don't like art housey sorts of things, yeah, it not be your jam because it's you're not. It's not like a thrill a minute or anything like that. But if you love, you know, high art and you know beautiful cinematography and some like interesting storytelling like this is your jam but there's i just gotta say there's a scene with a hammer that is horrifying yeah there there is and and it's it's cool that you you really like this because there is a like companion movie to this i mean Mm. uh the, the same director he did another horror movie that has a lot of 
similarities in like genre and style to this one. It's, you know, okay. not a true, not a sequel or anything, but it is like a companion. People view it as a companion piece to this one because he made them like near each other and they're just so similar in many ways. So, um, yeah, I got to find. But the other one is called Kuraneko. Kuraneko? Uh, I have a, you know, uh, my pronunciations are probably terrible with these Japanese <laughs> titles, but um I don't know if it's as available, though, because I, I wanted to assign you that one in the future, but I can't seem to find it on streaming anywhere. So I don't okay. know. Maybe well, I'll have to hunt it down. Make sure you can watch that in the future, because okay. that one's also very cool. So. Well, awesome. Yeah. So um, unless you got anything else to add, uh, I don't. Let's rate this thing. So out of five uh, Oni masks, how mm, many do you give uh-huh. it? I am going to give it four and a half. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> I know. I just, you, I was like, this is so good. You shocked me. Cause I'm, I'm just doing solid four. I'm doing four and a half. Four and a half. But that's still. Scare of approval. A scare of approval right there. It is. It Hell is. Yeah. yeah. I just was thinking about, it. I'm like, I don't know much that I would change about it. Yeah, no, it's just it's it is hypnotic. I think that's the that's the and word I'm mesmerizing. Looking for. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It it's sort of two things. It unfolds at like a pace you're just like, especially with modern movies, you're not used to. It's a very slow and deliberate pace, but it brings you in. So and there's they, just some shots where you're like, oh my god, look how beautiful that is. Yeah. Like even of just like someone like looking at someone and you see the sky behind them. Like it's just looks like a paint, like a black and white painting. It's so, so clear and just yeah. gorgeous. And it's really cool. The, uh, on the Blu-ray, there's a special feature that's just raw footage of, um, location scouting that the director shot. Um, oh. but it, it's, it, it's kind of fascinating in itself to just watch that raw footage because it looks like setups in this movie where he's just filming landscapes and stuff. So it's like, man, okay. this guy just really knew how to photograph a yeah. landscape and make it look interesting. So he sure did. And that grass, yeah. that is a great setting. Okay. Uh-huh. I know Absolutely. there's that Stephen King movie in the tall grass, but I can't imagine it's anything like this. Yeah, absolutely. Not from not. what I've heard. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to another demon hag. This is from 2012, The Woman in Black, directed by James Watkins. And the tagline on Letterboxd is, what did they see? And the description is, the story follows a young lawyer, Arthur Kitts, who was ordered to travel to a remote village and sort out a recently deceased client's papers. As he works alone in the client's isolated house, Kitts begins to uncover tragic secrets his unease growing when he glimpses a mysterious woman dressed only in black. Receiving only silence from the locals, Kips is forced to uncover the true identity of the woman in black on his own, leading to a desperate race against which, against time when he discovers her true identity. Ooh, Ooh scary ghost. Yeah, so, well, one, we accidentally created kind of a good pairing, I think. I think to... we did, like, totally... Yeah, like not knowing so, what Onibaba stood for or what it's about. Yeah, not somehow, that they're like they're about the same things, but there are parallels. Yeah, they feel tonally like, oh, you could put these together because this is another movie that I feel like watching it. It unfolds pretty deliberately. Uh, it's definitely not a fast paced. Like this is a old school gothic ghost story. Is what they were doing with this. Um, I liked it well enough 
Uh, I'll start there. I love Daniel Radcliffe, of course. It's it great. Per- his performance is phenomenal in this. And yeah. I know this this was an early uh, attempt at him to break away from Harry Potter. I think Potter, the first. Think. Yeah, wasn't this his first major thing so. after I Harry Potter? I think it was Potter, filmed in like 2010 even. It didn't come out until 2012. Yeah, it took a couple yeah, years. Yeah, I think it but... was. And like, what an interesting thing for him to do. Be like, I'm going to be in the Hammer Horror yeah. Film Studios like relaunch. And he is just a very good actor. Like, that's all I can think every time I see him, especially for somebody that uh, not that certain things are any better than others. But the fact that he's been connected to these major, you know, huge properties, I think people would tend to look down on those actors as not as serious necessarily sometimes or coming from being a child actor, too. But like, no, he's just really well honed. Like, he knows the craft. And I think he's 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 just good in everything. You could put him in anything. He's going to be great. but yeah, no, this is, and it really feels like a throwback. Like Hammer was very much like, we're going to make something that feels like we could have made this in the 70s, like, you know, right along with our Dracula movies, where instead of Daniel Radcliffe, it probably would have been Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee, like in the role. And like, that's very much what this felt like. Like it could have been made then or now. Um, it definitely feels like a throwback Hammer gothic story. The only thing that I would say was a major, major points from me uh, deducted uh, is it wasn't very visually interesting, or at least not as much as I would like or hoped. Because for something that has such a simple uh, story that we're just kind of following what's going on, solving the mystery, there's this haunting going on. Um, I just wanted some more uh, camera work some because uh, there are moments uh where you're like looking down hallways and stuff like that but the camera felt very static to me uh and i wanted some more movement to create some more uh uh in the quiet moments it's a good way to you know create tension or the feeling of action even though nothing is happening is if you have an interesting camera angle or the camera doing something um but it really was just like it almost felt like a tv movie at times the way they were setting things up and shot it and photographed it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's looks good, but I Mm -hmm. don't disagree with you. Like, I feel like you could have done some, um, made some stronger choices when it comes to the setting, because it is, it's this Gothic scary looking old house, but it's on this marsh that's Mm -hmm. out in the middle of like nowhere that you have to take this like little trail that gets covered by water every night or whatever, a couple times a day, whatever it is. I don't fully understand the schedule of the tide. Yeah. But, um, uh, so right before I watched it, I watched not right before, but like a couple days before, I watched the movie from 1989, which I'd never oh, seen okay. before. But I'd watched one of those like scariest moments things. And I don't know if it was the most recent shutter one or what it was, but it had a moment from the woman in black and it said, but not the Daniel Radcliffe one, the OG. Mm. So I was like, well, I'm curious. So I watched it. It's a little longer than this one. The plot is mostly the same, but like there's some major, major differences. Mm. Like it's like they watched that and they're like, Hey, let's combine the ring with the woman in black, and that's what gave us 2012's The Woman in Black. Okay. Um, but there's it's 
so much better. <laughs> it oh, is then... so the the old one is so much better. Okay, yeah, I think so I had, much better. I think I'd seen that on Letterboxd at least a couple reviews that were like the '80s one is superior. Or like, uh, yeah, people liking yeah, that I mean, more. It definitely takes much more time, and some people may find it boring. Mm-hmm. But I just think the payoff is better, and. There's some scenes that I find more creepy, whereas I think the 2012 one is just like a jump scare of Palooza. Like it is, there's so many goddamn jump scares. Yeah, they threw in a lot of jump scares that I don't necessarily think served the tone of the movie they were going for here. And there's some um, good ones. Like I yeah. think the one where he's like looking in the window and like oh, that one is cool. Yeah, that one is like there's a couple that are good, but like I rewatch with my husband, who, as we all know from I think an episode or two ago, definitely this is his favorite haunted house movie. And yep. at the time of creating a list of top horror movies, he put this one at the top. We uh-huh. rewatched it together last night, and oh my god, I, there's no movie that we have ever watched that makes him react like this movie does. Really? <laughs> yes. Like gasping and oh, oh, <laughs> like just the sounds coming out of my husband were like no <laughs> other. Like it, like I think I maybe jumped like a couple times, but like it had to have been like close to double digits for him. Wow. And at the end, I said, so because he was scared to watch in the beginning because he was like, oh, God, am I not going to like it as much as I did back in, you know, almost 12 years ago when we saw it in the theater? Mm -hmm. I was like, did you like it as much? And he's like, no, I said, is it? I said, did you still like it? And he said, yes. And I said, is it still your number one horror movie? And he said, I don't know about that. Um, And I said, is it still your favorite haunted house movie? And he said, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So he still loves it up to him. Yeah. Uh, but Not yeah, I just—I oh, <laughs> mean, I thought it was fine. I don't remember loving it the first time. I remember okay. being like, "That was good." Yeah, but I just like this time, and this time I, I was a little tainted because I had watched the original a couple days before, and I was like, sure. "Oh, that's really good." And so then watching this, like the the different choices that were made here, like, and here's the thing: the the made for TV movie and you know, which was like a, a BBC movie, and this one both do different things with the story of the accident that happens in the marsh uh-huh. like um so if you've never seen it before like this guy as in the description goes to this house to deal with this dead woman's um house and while he's there like a couple of times he hears out in the marsh like he thinks someone's approaching and he goes out there and there's like hooves of like a, a horse and like um carriage coming and then like there's but he can't see one and then he hears like an accident happen and in the the tv movie it's so effective because it's so creepy here like he sees it like an mm-hmm. apparition of it which i think is less scary um but in the tv movie they sort of change the story up that the woman in black um first of all the the reason that they gave that she had to give up her baby she had it out of wedlock and they couldn't have that so that her sister and her family took up the kid whereas here it sounded like she had mental issues am i correct yes like in yeah, the remake it's like oh she's meant has some mental issues so we better take care of the kid instead yeah that's what they were and then, alluding to and then the step family essentially gets in an accident with the kid and she never forgives the the mother her sister mm-hmm. and in the, the tv show or the tv movie the 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 woman in black i can't remember what her name is it's like veda or something like that the woman in black 
kidnaps her son and goes to like leave. Like she's like, I'm taking my son back. And then she and the son die in the carriage. Oh, okay. Which I think is a stronger choice, but like that is not what happened. Like in the book came out like 1983. And I think it's even different there. So like they always change up that story. But in the TV movie and in the book and the play, there's no trying to find the son and reunite. That is a very the ring plot. Like we got to save Samara and and reunite so that the curse will end. And here's the thing. And the ring that works so well, because I think the twist is so great. And here it's like, wait, what? Why is this? What? I just find fe- that the, the, the twist's not a twist, and, like, I don't understand what happened. No, yeah, no. When it got to that point, I was like, they were watching too many episodes of Supernatural or something when they made this, because that's also, like, a common plot thing in multiple episodes of Supernatural, whatever they deal with ghosts, and they're like, we gotta go dig up the remains and do this, and then we can put them to rest. Like, that's what it felt like, and I was like, oh... Yeah, this feels like of a period with ghost movies where for some reason, and like you said, and in the ring. So it feels like something they wanted to do in ghost stories in the 20 aughts and tens that they were like, there's got to be a thing where they got to dig up bodies and do this and that. And yeah, I don't know. And. Another fun thing about like the TV movie premiered on Christmas Eve in 1980, mm. 1989. And then like a few years later, like 2002 or something like that, it also played on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. And then I think that the stage play also like premiered like Christmas Eve or something. And the stage play ran for like, I don't know, many, many years, like 33 years. It ran forever. Okay. And the stage play sounds so cool because it's like two actors I mean, obviously they're actors, but like in the play, like someone's reading this story and the other person comes out and they're like, your, your interpretation's not good. Like, let me help you tell this story. So they're like actors in the play within the play. And then there's like the woman in black that keeps appearing at various points. And I think a lot of it is told through like sound effects. And then at the very end of the play, the one actor says to the other, like, you know, who, how did you find that actress who played the woman in black? Like she's so like sickly looking and and the woman, the guy's like, there was no other, other actor. Actor. It was just us. And the the other guy like freaks out because he's talked about his family at home or whatever. And he's like, Oh my God, like she's going to get my family. Uh huh. So I don't think it said this in the description, but anytime the woman in black is seen, a child dies is essentially like the the crux of this. And that's what I'll say. The 2012 version is so much better. You see more kids die. I think those are fairly effective, especially the very beginning, like the opening scene. Yeah, when it's the pretty little brutal. girls walk out and just jump out the window. I'm like, this is good. Yeah, like, I, like, I love those moments. I love yes. the kids dying, which is so morbid. But like that doesn't really happen in the the TV movie. Okay. Yeah. So like you hear about it. Sure. And he actually saves a kid from dying. Uh-huh. In like the town, and I don't know if this is a part of the book or not, but like you almost think the woman in black is sort of after him because he like he interfered. Sort of, he interfered with Final Destination, like with yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that, but she's really creepy in the twenty. I mean, in the the TV movie, just because it's not like shrouded in darkness, mm-hmm. like this one, it's always like, ooh, I'm gonna paint her face to look real white, and you're just gonna see it poking out in the background or in a window and. You know, but like in the older one, it's much brighter and she's just standing there and she's so skinny um, uh-huh. because that's a whole thing is that she never ate once her son died, like in the past. Um, so, yeah, I know I'm doing a whole lot of comparisons, but I couldn't help to. 
Uh, the 2012 also has a lot of creepy dolls, like so many fucking creepy dolls. Yes, that was cool. But yeah, ultimately for me, I know you'll disagree because you didn't like this movie, but I was thinking a more effective movie to me was Crimson Peak that's dealing in the same sort of thing as this 20, the 2012 version where, and what made that even more arresting was Guillermo del Toro's visual style, of course, which is so distinct. So I'm like, they, I think they needed a creator like that or somebody like that on this movie would have upped the game quite a bit to make it even more visually arresting if they had like, because this, I mean, it's dark, it's gothic, but I'm like, you didn't have to do like an all black color palette. You could have swapped up some stuff like like in Crimson Peak, he went with red. And that makes a very stark and interesting visual representation of everything. So that there's was what I thought shots, was missing here. Yeah, there's some shots with like a purple wallpaper yeah. or something. But again, it's just so close to black. Yeah, exactly. It's so dark. It I was like, I, I wanted some other something else in there just to make it pop a little more. That could have been more uh interesting but like there definitely is like this long night that he stays in the house that mm-hmm. i think is is good cool. and yeah, like a cool there's scene. some affecting effective scares it builds tension nicely but just like ultimately like yeah the whole end and where it all goes down like everything that involves the automobile which is totally strictly like to this movie's you know plot devices I just, it just felt like the ring. Yeah, it gets like very, very 2010s. To Gotta whatever undo that, the curse. And what then, that means to did you. Did you yeah. undo the curse? But did you really? Are you yeah. sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> like that's, yeah, what it felt like. So. Yeah, so I, I do think it's fine. And I imagine yeah. probably some people it could scare the shit out of. I imagine some other people it could bore. Because like. I didn't I, find it boring. Did you find it boring? I fluctuated between the two where I was invested, but there are long segments that I was like, okay, I'm kind of bored now. Like something needs to happen. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm not as engaged anymore. And then all of a sudden a bunch of jump scares happen at like the end of the movie. So that's how, you know, this is a 2010s uh, horror movie. So. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of jump scares that happen with like birds and things like that. Yeah. Which those are like my least favorite, but then False there's like, jump scares. Yeah. yeah. But like, like you were talking about that, like long, hallway shot like there's a scene where he's like sleeping in a chair and at yes. the end of the long hallway behind him you see like something appear and then like you're on like that point of view and you're like following it and it doesn't go quite where you think it's gonna go yeah uh, so it does some some effective things but like towards the end when he's like has this plan it makes no sense to me that he goes into a room and turns on every toy in there that will make noise and move he like mm-hmm. turns all of them on and the whole room is just a flutter with toy noise and i'm mm-hmm. just like i uh, don't you think her dead son is enough of a draw yeah but so there was I like a one particular there were a few like some of those dolls were like truly eerie yeah like i'm like did you create this did you find this i would like to know sure yeah yeah there were some fucking creepy there was like a clown that looked really human like um there were just some like yeah really eerie old looking toys yeah and there's some moments too where like she kind of changes throughout like the story too like uh because she doesn't always look the same uh because there's there's some other moments where she pops up at the end where you're like oh okay that i wasn't expecting it to be like a different sort of uh visage than it was before but this time it was like startling so yeah yep 
Yeah, and the, the whole electric age is so unique because in the TV movie, the house does have electricity, but you have to like go out to the secondary house and like do some cranks to like turn oh, the electricity turn on. It on. So there's yeah. times when like the electricity goes off and yeah. it's creepy. And then here there's the car aspect. So yeah. it's like they both have this electric future coming in, just like weaving in in different ways. But I am curious. I do want to read the book and I, I, read online that because of course then you know everything online is true but that they read this in schools like you would read like to kill a mockingbird oh wow yeah interesting okay i know cool i know so definitely i i would like to check out the book i'll probably listen to it i want to listen to it on like a journey or something there you go and maybe someday do the play because it sounds creepy and the director of the 2012 one directed eden lake did you like that movie i didn't see that one you didn't see Eden Lake? No. Oh my god. Okay. Put it it's, on the list. Uh it's an interesting one. What do you know anything about it? Not at all. Oh my god. Okay. Got it. Cool. Got it. Okay. Anything else to say? No, I about think that's I think that's it. The woman in black. Yeah. All right. Well, out of how many bloody child corpses? No, bloody. Ooh. Muddy. Muddy child That's what corpses. I meant to say. Muddy child corpses. How many do you give the woman in black? Uh, I'm going to give it a solid three. Okay, I'm giving it three as well. Okay. Still a definite. Scare of approval. Scare of approval by the skin okay. of its teeth. By the skin of its teeth. Yeah. So there you go, guys. Double fisted scare of approval. One super high on the scale, and the other one just creeping by. Mm hmm. But still, but still, a couple good recommends right there. Yeah, so we'd love to hear from you. Scaringisharing at gmail.com. Follow us on Insta. Scaring is sharing all. One word. <laughs> I was going to say, write in, are there any other great uh, ghost hag movies that mm. uh, we should cover? We covered two of them. Yeah, we just did two of them right here. So are there any others to discuss? So let us yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. And as always, Jeremy, it's lovely to hang out with you. So thanks for being here with me. I know. It's great. You're my boy. I love I love You're doing this. You're my boy. I love doing this. My good time I soldier. Do, do. You're my good time, Sally. Yep. That's you. <laughs> and remember, long live the new flesh. <gasps> Death to Videodrome. <laughs> and keep uh, watching and talking about scary movies because scaring is sharing. That's right. Bye. Uh... This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.